Greetings and welcome. I'm Jane Barton, and this is Cardinal Musings, a podcast focused on the issues of paramount importance as we age, what I call cardinal concerns. So grab a cup of coffee, settle into your favorite chair. It's time to chat. Although we live in a death-averse society, at some point along the way, you've probably thought about how you want your journey to end. If you're like the majority of people in our country, you want to die at home, surrounded by family and friends. But the sad reality is this. Most people don't get what they want at the end of life. Due to circumstances and the domino effect of acute, aggressive care, Far too many people die in the sterile, unfamiliar, dehumanizing environment of an ICU. So the question is this, how can we reclaim authorship of the final chapter such that our wishes equal our reality at the end of life? First, let's consider the landscape of healthcare today in the United States. I've spent considerable time over the past two decades studying the commentary of those considered experts in the field. Doctors Ira Bayok, Jessica Zitter, Angelo Volandes, Atul Gawande, and Frederick Abrams are some of the best informed regarding palliative and hospice care. Therefore, if you're interested in this topic, which I assume you are since you tuned in today, I strongly encourage you to explore the books, blogs, and websites offered by these well-informed and insightful individuals. Taking the time to learn more about how to plan for the end of life will serve you and yours well. To whet your appetite for this beneficial information, I'll share some of the insights I've gleaned from the various experts to enrich our conversation today. According to Dr. Volandes in his book, The Conversation, Quote, Americans receive some of the best health care money can buy, but they also experience some of the worst deaths in the developed world. Unquote. This is often due to the fact that the various medical interventions available to us actually become the source of suffering. Yes, doctors are able and capable of doing many things. But when contemplating aggressive, life-prolonging interventions, The question becomes, should they? To what end is the action leading? And is it your preferred ending? In order to answer these questions, we must first consider the consequences of all available choices. However, to be honest, we often don't know exactly what the consequences will be. So we then must weigh the risk and the rewards of the available options. The one thing to keep in mind when having the conversation with your doctor is that medical professionals are trained to do. They are trained to cure. So it goes against the grain, it goes against the nature of a doctor to suggest that treatment be stopped or withdrawn. There is always another procedure, another therapy or drug that just might work, right? Again, there is much we can do, but why? An important question, since many of the medical interventions actually complicate the dying process. Dr. Ira Bayok reflects on this reality in his book, The Best Care Possible. He states, quote, it is not easy to die well in modern times, unquote. 
Why is that? Well, far too often, patients and or family members make decisions with the best of intentions that lead to unintended tragic results. How does that happen? Well, it happens because we are lacking. In the midst of a medical emergency, we lack the time to understand the implications of our choices. When confronted by medically complex situations, we lack the knowledge to fully appreciate the potential benefits and burdens of the various options. If serving as a surrogate decision-maker, we may lack the expressed wishes of the person we represent. And fundamentally, we lack the courage to confront the reality of our mortality. Granted, there are exceptions to the rule, and you may well be an exception. But my experience over the past 20 years of chatting with people about aging, caregiving, and end-of-life care supports the belief that the majority of people in the United States don't have a script for the final chapter of life. In fact, most haven't even considered how their life might end. They just don't want to go there. Now that's interesting because we profess to want a script. We think an end-of-life plan actually makes sense. Consider the survey conducted by the California Healthcare Foundation in 2012 of their membership. It revealed the disconnect between what people want and what they actually experienced. Now, I realize the survey is about a decade old, but public opinion has not changed dramatically since then. Therefore, let's look at some of the results. First, 60% of those surveyed said they didn't want to be a burden on family members at the end of life. However, only 44% had actually communicated their wishes regarding care. Without those directives, families are burdened. Secondly, 80% expressed the desire to die at home. However, the reality is that 76% of persons die elsewhere, the hospital or a long-term care community. This often happens as a result of medical choices made that then preclude the possibility of dying at home. Thirdly, 80% wish to chat with their doctor about medical options in order to finalize their advanced directives, and yet only 7% have actually done so. And finally, 82% believe it's vitally important to document their wishes for medical care. However, only 25% have completed advanced directives. Highlighting these four results from the survey demonstrates why our wishes rarely equal our reality at the end of life. So what's to be done? How can we reclaim authorship of the final chapter in life? Well, I just happen to have a few ideas. In order to transform our lived experience, and that includes death, I would suggest taking the following steps. First and foremost, Confront our fear of death so we can talk about the final chapter. Secondly, become an avid student. Learn about the potential consequences of medical options by chatting with our doctors and exploring reliable resources. Thirdly, do a gut check. Honor our guiding principles, priorities, beliefs, and values when making difficult decisions. Then request a palliative care consult when dealing with chronic or terminal diseases. And finally, discuss our hopes and fears, our goals and objectives with family, friends, and medical professionals. 
make sure everyone is on the same page. This all sounds well and good, right? Well, just know I realize transforming our approach to the end of life is easier said than done. My family certainly struggled with this process. First with my mom when we were scared to death to talk about death. And then with my dad, who refused to discuss his preferences and wishes related to his medical and financial affairs. Perhaps you will relate to our story. In 1992, my dad had a stroke. This was a red flag warning in many ways for my brother Richard and for me. Obviously, the stroke was shocking for all concerned. It also highlighted the fact that we were totally unprepared to care for our dad. No advanced directives, no power of attorney, no medical durable power of attorney. Nothing. So we were then determined to get all the paperwork in place to care for dad once the dust settled and the crisis passed. We were eager to get the necessary plans in place to honor his wishes. We loved and respected our father and also shared similar goals and objectives. Thus, Richard and I worked really well together. The one thing we failed to anticipate, though, was Dad's unwavering resistance to discuss end-of-life matters. In preparation for our initial conversation with Dad, we consulted an attorney friend and determined the forms that needed to be filled out and signed. With papers in hand, we went to see Dad. We were on a mission. As it turned out, Dad was not nearly as enthusiastic about the process as we were. He politely listened to our concerns, glanced at the paperwork, and mumbled something about dealing with it later. Over the next three years, Richard and I revisited the topic of paperwork unsuccessfully every time we went home to visit, which was quite frequent. The last time I broached the subject with Dad, he left little doubt that he was not signing the paperwork. We were sitting at the breakfast table, drinking coffee and chatting, and I decided to try one more time. I was about halfway through what I thought was an irresistible pitch when Dad rose from the table. He looked down at me and he said in a very calm but firm voice, I will not sign your papers today, tomorrow, or any time in the future. And please do not bring up the subject again. Oh, and and by the way, he emphasized his statement by slamming his fist on the breakfast table, launching my cup of coffee into the air. A warm shower of coffee rained down as the cup bounced off the table. I obviously needed to work on my delivery. Now, I tell this story not to vilify my dad. Rather, the story highlights the tremendous fear many people experience when illness or advanced age approaches. We fear losing control. Dad knew we had his best interest at heart, but he was not willing to relinquish any control. He was not ready to have his children speak for him. He was the father. He was the patriarch of our family, and he was in control. If I had the opportunity to speak to Dad today, I would ask if we could start over. Today, I would seek to understand his hopes and fears. Instead of telling, I would ask. Instead of speaking, I would listen. 
instead of assuming I would be curious. Honestly, I don't know if this approach would have resulted in a different response, but I certainly recognize the fallacy of our initial approach. Slowly but surely, I'm getting older and a little bit wiser. Dr. Jessica Zitter, a palliative care specialist, notes in her book, Extreme Measures, that we need to be aware of the medical turning points in end-of-life care. She shares many stories of how patients and families opted for a particular procedure or treatment in the heat of the moment, not really understanding or realizing the implications of their choice. They failed to realize a point of no return had just been passed, after which Everyone is wondering, what just happened? How did we get here? Here often being an ICU or long-term acute care setting. Dr. Zitter refers to this as the healthcare conveyor belt that leads to mandatory high levels of care. And once on that conveyor belt, it's next to impossible to get off. If this is not what you are envisioning as the perfect ending, how can this train wreck be avoided? Well, knowledge and realistic expectations. For this, please do not rely on your favorite medical TV series. What often unfolds on the screen is more fantasy than reality. So in dealing with the turning points of breathing machines, feeding tubes, CPR, and dialysis, confer with a competent, trusted medical professional before making life-changing decisions. Make sure that your choice aligns with your priorities and goals. Understand the implications of each and every option and recognize why you are choosing to proceed with or refuse a medical treatment. What are your motivating factors? Ask questions, debate, discuss, consider, and reflect. Then choose the path that aligns with the narrative of your final chapter. Please know that I don't presume to know what the perfect ending is for you. We will all approach this process based upon our unique perspective of life. Because we have different goals of care predicated on different priorities, each one of us will opt to write a unique ending. In his book, The Conversation, Dr. Angelo Volandes writes about how different goals of care lead to different conclusions— And there are three basic paths of care that he discusses. First, life-prolonging care, wherein the priority is the sanctity of life. Therefore, the preference is for all medical interventions that prolong life. The second is limited medical care. This is the middle ground between life-prolonging care and comfort care. And then the third option is comfort care, or you might rephrase this as palliative and hospice care. This is the path in which quality of life is the priority. Hence, some interventions may be refused even if the duration of life is shortened. Dr. Volandes describes these paths in his book, as well as many videos on YouTube. And I highly recommend both resources for your consideration. Now, whether you are proactively planning your final chapter, as in compiling your advanced directives, or confronting a medical emergency, the decision-making process benefits from advocacy and collaboration. 
Again, noting the advice of Dr. Ira Bayok, the best care possible is achieved by those who lean into the process, advocating for themselves or their loved ones while doing everything possible to work with their medical professionals. In order to do so, he says we must, quote, be informed, prepared, polite, and persistent, unquote. Now, I realize that contemplating your death or that of a loved one can be frightening and overwhelming. So can we truly expect to be informed, prepared, polite, and persistent when trying to make difficult medical decisions? Aren't we expecting a wee bit too much? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's a big ask, particularly if we've done nothing in preparation for the final chapter. That is why having the conversation well in advance of the need is so vitally important. Consider the what-ifs with family, friends, and medical advisors. Granted, things will happen that you never imagined, but at least you've laid a foundation from which to deal with the unexpected. Plus, through the process, you have created a network of support, the needed and wanted support when dealing with a serious medical issue. Hence, procrastination does not serve us well when it comes to contemplating how we want our story to end. Thinking that it's not time, or I'm healthy, or mom and dad are doing just fine, thank you. These are excuses we employ to delay the conversation, which is emotionally difficult, if not distressing. And believe me, I get it. I've been there and done that. So allow me to share the rest of the story about my dad, the consequences Richard and I struggled with as a result of not having a plan in place. My hope is that you can learn from our experience and thus avoid undue anxiety and frustration. Several years after Dad had a stroke, we were faced with another medical challenge, cancer. Dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer many years before, and sadly, the cancer had metastasized to his spine, necessitating surgical removal of a large tumor. This was not without risk, obviously, and we were concerned about possible paralysis as well as an exacerbation of his cognitive impairment caused by the stroke. If the surgery took longer than planned, the anesthesia could be problematic. So, not knowing how Dad would fare physically or cognitively, Richard and I ran through the various scenarios. We both knew that if Dad emerged from surgery impaired in any way, we needed legal standing to care for him, something that had eluded us for many years. Sitting in the surgical waiting room the morning of Dad's procedure, I recognized the exhaustion etched on Richard's face. It had been a rough week, to say the very least. Thinking back, I couldn't believe some of the things that happened. What a nightmare. It began with a phone call informing us of Dad's diagnosis, which was totally unexpected. Then came the scramble for family to travel to Texas. Upon arrival and seeing Dad, we realized that he had been less than truthful in recent months. Richard and I both called Dad several times a week, and during those calls, he always proclaimed to be doing fine. In fact, he even told us he was playing golf every day. 
although at the time he could barely walk from his bedroom to the kitchen. To say we felt a wee bit guilty and angry is an understatement. But we had little time to be ticked off. As noted previously, Dad had refused to talk about his medical preferences. And without the legal authority to act on our father's behalf, Richard and I were in a very precarious situation. And so was Dad. Richard finally came up with the winning approach. Knowing that Dad always abided by his doctor's orders, Richard presented the medical power of attorney as a document required by the doctor. All we needed was his signature. So as the nurses wheeled Dad into the operating room, he finally signed the needed form to ensure that we could care for him. Really? Did it have to be this hard? And so, my friends, how will your story end? How do you wish your story to end? And what are you doing to increase the odds that your wishes will equal your reality at the end of life? These are questions I hope you and yours seriously consider in the days and weeks to come. I know it's hard to start the process, but once done, it's incredibly freeing, a huge load off your shoulders. If you need a little motivation, reflect on the stories I shared today. Learn from my mistakes. Then choose to take the bull by the horns and be proactive in the planning process. There's no need to wait until a medical crisis lands in your lap to outline your preferred ending. Look at it this way. If you fail to contemplate the possible options for the end of your story, you lose control of your personal narrative. You abdicate the authorship of your story, leaving the ending to chance, to fate, or to someone who may not even know you. Personally, I'm not willing to take that chance, nor am I willing to put my dearest friends in an impossible situation, wondering what I want or trying to figure out how to help me. Since I have no immediate family, there is no one who has legal standing to speak for me unless designated to do so. Now that brings something else to mind. What if there is no one to serve as your surrogate decision maker? Well, there are some options. There are professionals who can serve in that capacity. So a couple of resources you might want to check out. First, Aging Life Care Association. This is a membership organization of geriatric care managers. And these are individuals who can serve as your advocate, and they can assist you in navigating the various challenges posed by aging. Additionally, there is a group called the National Guardianship Association, and another group, the Professional Fiduciary Association, both of which can lead you to professionals to assist with your health care as well as financial needs. So just Google the names to access the various websites, and then you can do some searching to identify a professional in your area. Well, I've probably babbled enough for now, so it's time to shift gears and allow you time to explore some of the resources noted today. Access the books, the blogs, and the videos of some of the best in the business. Find the courage to broach the subject with your family and friends. Reclaim the authorship of your life and start weaving a tale that serves you and yours well. 
May your wishes equal your reality. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you heard something of benefit. I also offer virtual programs and reflections on similar topics. If interested, please check out my website to review upcoming events and to read my blog at cardinallife.com. Send any questions, comments, or suggestions to my email, cardinallife at msn.com. I look forward to musing with you again in the very near future about other cardinal concerns. Till then, take good care and remember to enjoy the moment. Blessings to you and yours.